everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode 124, my notes tell me. Coming to you from Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado's best motorcycle podcast or your money back. I am your host, MotoGP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. You. And we are going to return to form for this episode Nearly zero scooter content, I promise. In fact, we're going to talk about great big fat Harleys and Indians and bagger racing at some point. The king of the bagger races, if you haven't heard of it, oh my gosh, you've been living under a rock. It was fantastic. We're going to talk about that. So what else are we going to talk about in this episode? We are going to start with our best worst bike segment, as we always do. We're going to talk about whether or not motorcycles can bridge the gap between gas and electric vehicles realistically and we're going to talk about like i just said the king of the baggers races that happened in laguna seca last week and then we're going to get to emails i think that sounds like a pretty good show i think so too okay so we don't have any corrections or omissions emails this week but it's okay. You know what? We had a strong, like, three weeks of corrections and omissions emails there. I'm okay missing one. But hey, send them in. It's like my favorite thing, okay? Now, we are getting into Best Worst Bike here in under, like, two minutes. This is exciting. Giving the people what they want. Okay, so... Here's what we're going to do. We're starting with best worst bike in the world this week. If you don't know how this works, I shame on you. But for the shameful of you, here it goes. Yet another explanation of how it works. Each week means we each pick a different bike. We don't know what each other have picked. It's always a surprise. We pick different bikes of all different kinds and present them as the best and worst bike in the world this week. Don't get your feelings hurt. It's just a different way to look at two motorcycles you might not normally take a second look at. And just like Jim Morrison and a weird naked Indian told me in a dream once, there's no crying in motorcycles. So, sweet, you have... Uh, worst bike in the world this week. Yes, I do. Cool. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. <clears throat> and the worst bike in the world this week is... The 94 Suzuki VS1400 Intruder. I know we've done the Marauder. How have we overlooked the Intruder? So the Intruder is essentially like a mirror bike competitively, almost perfectly to the Virago. And it was kind of built around the same time period, kind of in those mid and post AMC years. There's five or six different versions but we need to go back to the 1400 where they went all out because this is another element. This is another example of a Japanese bike manufacturer just totally out of their element, not understanding what the competition is doing and trying to enter a market and failing hard. In particular, this is one of my favorite worst bikes 
solely on the basis of the name. It it scores high on the anal game. <laughs> yeah, they could have just called it the home invasion, you know? Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> like the Marauder, it's like, oh, we're savage, we're untamed, we're rugged, we're independent. We're maybe a little bit crazy, but, you know, in a way that gives you pause the intruder is just there's no positive connotation to intruder like this where i want to know where this name came from because it's the worst i want to know where the engineering came from because okay so it's trying to be a soft tail right it's trying to be a soft tail chopper because it doesn't have a swing arm. It's got a rigid back, but it does have shocks. So first of all, it's not really great for handling and delivering power, but whatever, it's a cruiser. Why does that 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 piece of the frame that's where the swing arm would be appear to be welded to the outside of the frame? I don't know. No one does, and uh, I'll say. And this here's is, how it, here's how you know it's worse than the Virago. Okay, as horrible as the Virago is, no one and I will. No one can say otherwise, and I will fight anybody that says otherwise. The Virago has a beautiful looking engine. It does. Whereas this is to. It's two Suzuki Savage engines at an angle. A really <laughs> shit. I mean, right? <laughs> it's the most boring, squared off, unappealing, just soulless looking engine ever. Well, it doesn't even. Well, because this bike is clearly competition in the American market. Nobody's making a 1400cc V air cooled V twin. For anything other than the American market. So this is meant to be Harley competition. But that is not Suzuki's element. And it's clear. Somebody with a clipboard and a chart said, Hey, lots of big cruisers being sold in America. We need to get in on that action. It's the 90s. Motorcycles are booming. A lot of money to be made. Hey, somebody who's really, really passionate about making inline-four liquid-cooled sport bikes. I am assigning you to make a gigantic air-cooled V-twit. And that person could not lower their standards enough to match the aesthetic that the American market wanted at the time. And they were also up against the battle of the whole point about a big Harley cruiser was this whole kind of American muscle aesthetic. So it was doomed from the start. Yeah. This kind of came out at whatever, whatever year this was, this is 94 to 96. Okay. So that's, yeah, that is peak time for sales of big dog choppers, right? Yeah. And it's trying to do all those big dog choppers things. It's got that. It's got that kind of frame where the 
where the the frame meets the triple tree is obnoxiously large and it's raked out a little bit it's it's kind of like it's trying to do the 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 Captain America Peter Fonda chopper from Easy Rider but it's all corporate and soulless right it's yeah cuz it, it's trying to take because you know as bad as a lot of those even even like the just post AMC or Harley's were there was a there was a theme to them. There was a character. There was there Yeah, was they a, were legitimate. Even if that meant legitimately bad, they were legitimate. <laughs> right. But the way that Suzuki builds motorcycles doesn't translate into that aesthetic at all. It comes off even if they were to make you know it comes off yeah, it like you said, it comes off as completely soulless. Because at this point, they were all obsessed with getting within 0.01 cc's of regulation for homologated race bikes. They were trying to eke out as much power as possible. They were making. They were trying to get it get all the precision engineering into their products. Suzuki's and, passion comes through with doing so much more math than you expected them to do. By putting so much math into the bike, it becomes soul again. It becomes music. This is like you took one of those calculators for old people with gigantic buttons and a big friendly display, and you gave it to the Suzuki engineers and went, oh, you could only use this for your math. And then that's <laughs> what this what they put out, right? Right. Well, it's like – um. Yeah. In, so in America, only integers, so no if, decimal points. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> well, I, I would put it this way, and I think I've said things along similar veins before, which is, you know, with the Harley philosophy, it's form over function. With the Japanese manufacturers, a lot of the time, the function is the form itself, and they can they don't have the mentality to switch or at least they certainly didn't at this time i think the person who designed this bike is what does not want his name on it i agree yeah i mean it's it's rough to be so mean to a suzuki but we have to go there I, but is it even really a suzuki is this something that even Suzuki wants to put their name on? If Suzuki erects a museum here in the U.S., does this bike make it in, or do they just quietly forget about it? Well, this is pre-Boulevard, right? Yes. This is before Suzuki found these bikes to be so distasteful, they had to create their own sub-brand to carry the name. Here's here's the distressing thing is that in some markets, the Boulevard and the the C uh, the C is it the C one or C one hundred? There's the C fifty, the C ninety. Yeah, so that whole line of bikes, like the eight hundred CC and the new eighteen hundred CC and all the models, like even including the the yeah. Savage. In other markets, they actually still carry the Intruder name. 
which oh, is really really depressing. Boulevard is not a perfect motorcycle name, but it's a lot better than Intruder. Yeah, I mean it. Boulevard, even as a as a line of bikes, it's better than Star. Yeah, and it doesn't imply uh, unconsensual intercourse. <laughs> you know, so that's always a plus when you're branding <laughs> something. Okay, <laughs> I don't think we're gonna top that. So let's move on to um, best bike in the world this week. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is the 20, uh, 16, 17, and 18. I'm not sure if they've made them the last couple years. I'm sure there's leftover ones that haven't been sold. FGR Medaloo. Uh, I'm going to need a spelling on that. M-I-D-A-L-U. So, this is not unlike the Meduel. This is not unlike a lot of other crazy things. I love me a boutique bike. And this is as weird a boutique bike as you're gonna find. Whoa. Okay. Now it has lots of problems, but I as we as we encounter all those problems, I'm gonna to explain to you how they're actually strengths. Okay, so the elephant in the room with this motorcycle is that it's $130,000. Now that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll explain why. Because it's not for you. It's not for me. It's, it's, It's for crazy people. I see like Liam and Noel Gallagher from Oasis on this. On a private island. This is this is the motorcycle for the person that has two hundred to a million followers and is following nobody. This you know, I used to you know, I've said many times on this show that the Z900 is the bike that does the naked technical look the best. No, this does. Because the Z900 is trying to look technical when it's really not all that technical and advanced. This actually is. So it earns the look and it pulls it off in a very genuine way, even though it is a boutique hyperbike you know, rich douchebags bike, right? You should explain what the signature feature of this bike is. Okay. Yes. All right. So the FGR Medaloo, I uh, sort of um, misled you in the name. It's actually called the FGR Medaloo 2500 V6 is the full name of this motorcycle. So it has a two and a half liter V6 in it, which is amazing because it doesn't look a 90 degree. Yeah. So it's actually an L6, not a V6. 
Um, it ha- so now you would think to yourself, that is preposterous. How could you possibly? Well, that's not that crazy. That's like having a 1200 in line three, right? You would think, oh my gosh, squeezing a V6 into a bike, it must be gigantic and unwieldy. It's actually not all that large. Well, Honda and Benelli have done it with inline uh, sixes. Exactly. So this. I mean, it still is preposterous. It, it is. But because it's an L6, the weight is really low down if you look at it. It's all below like the center line, like the, mid, the midpoint of the forks, right? In fact, I would say 70% of that engine is below the is in line with or below the stanchions of the forks. Yeah. It's really low down. So it's got a kooky engine with weird engineering. That's awesome. Right. Stamp of approval there. It's got, it's not a perfect bike. Right. And and it's got a lot of things that aren't necessarily the best, but they are the most complicated and expensive. So it's (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, when you're buying, well, you, there's no reason to spend $130,000 on a motorcycle, right? Look, I'm just looking at this bike in this very well presented studio shot, and that front wheel is crying out for help. Like that front tire is clearly in distress. <laughs> <laughs> Look. This, so it's got a, a truly odd looking um, trellis perimeter frame on it, um, painted a very, very different color than the rest of the bike. They've decided to go with painting the the valve covers on the engine because why not make it match the seat? They've got, it's it's got, basically all the bodywork is carbon fiber, Right. Even the mufflers are carbon fiber. I don't even know if that's a good idea. So this bike has a at least carbon fiber coated tank with uh, standouts poking out through the trellis frame. Yeah. Like. Because you're just trying to fill out that $130,000 price tag. Right. It exists because somebody wants to spend that money on a motorcycle to begin with. So this exists to fulfill that, right? In the opposite world where we're all trying to we all want a $13,000 motorcycle that does $18,000 motorcycle things, this goes the opposite direction. There's just somebody with a lot of money that goes, "I want a motorcycle that just costs six times as much as it should. So boom, this exists, right? Now the Meteor d- did it with, you know, all, all the same key points that I'm hitting, not as much horsepower, but a fair these, bit more grace, a lot more elegance. This does it in a very brutish way. Now, personally, I hate the styling of this, but I am 100% in love with the reasoning for the styling. It's which a is a lot better than buying a Hummer. 
Right. It, it has to be all of these ridiculous things because it costs $130,000. Well, why does it need to cost $130,000? Because somebody wanted to spend it. Now, uh, on this is the kookiest motorcycle of all time, right? So it's a boutique bike. Where do you think this is made? Is it France? I mean, I could, you know, you could name every single country in the world and you'd like name 50 countries before you got like to is the sea world. <laughs> <laughs> Czechoslovakia. Really? Yes. Okay. The main spokesman for this motorcycle is Carol Abraham. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, there's a Carol Abraham like livery version or whatever. Yes. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so it does some weird, some so some more weird things about it. So it's got uh, two three into one headers coming off the banks, and then at the mufflers they split again. So if you're following this bike, it looks like you've got a six into six exhaust. It's not a real six into six exhaust, but you know what? It's still fun. It has. I mean, it just has all of the things, right? Every traction control, every computer thing, you know, the track modes and all that stuff. But, you know, it's a it's a street legal road bike. Now, here's another reason it is worth, it is worth, and I've checked on this, and it's still true. It is, in fact, the world's highest horsepower street legal production motorcycle. So for $130,000, you do get the super duper satisfying, like, bragging rights stat, right? There are motorcycles that cost the same or more that do not boast that. Now, you would say to yourself, well, what about the, the Panigale V4R? The street legal version you can buy? Not 240, 234. <laughs> okay. You know, what about the uh what about the H2R? Uh the street legal one? That's a, that's a pathetic mere even 200 horsepower. <laughs> right? I you've got to admit, being the fastest street legal production motorcycle. That's some big bragging rights or the most powerful, not necessarily the fastest or top speed, just most horsepower. I wonder like a bike like this, if you want to buy a bike that just makes you feel a certain way or feel good inside, (laughs) right? You kind of all roads go here, don't they? This feels like, it's weird to see anybody doing anything sensible with this bike. This bike feels like it needs like... The- oh, it probably comes with a contract clause that says if you're caught riding it sensibly, it'll get taken away. You know, like <laughs> you know, like when you buy a Ford GT, you have to promise you won't sell it for six years? Like, I think if you buy one of these, you have to promise to get six traffic tickets in the next two months or they'll take it away. I, I feel like a bike like this would have like... You know, like um, the uh, the OnStar system for cars, it would have like a button you could press. It'd be like, how can I help you? 
I'm being pulled over by a cop. It's like, we'll send a lawyer your way as soon as possible. Uh, uh, probably a tablet pops out of the tank and like a, you get a video conference with like a legal team right there on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so again, uh, the, the swing arm on it is like this weird, like, I don't even know what it's made of. Something crazy. It looks insane. There's technology there. Um, the radiator on this is impossibly large. I it, it <laughs> I think this radiator might just eyeballing it might be as large as the radiator that Ditch had on the Scout. Yeah, it's like out of a Camry or like something like that. It's a gigantic radiator with again impossible amounts of carbon fiber enclosing it not sure why uh, but that's what it is well they had to get it to 130,000 they had to get it to 130,000 of course it's got the olin's everything of course it's got the brembo everything of course it's got it's got the best of everything and um again it's that czechoslovakian thing like what else it also has going for it is that crazy x factor of like you've never even heard of it Right, that you're sitting there, you know. It, it maybe you're hanging out at the rock store or the Ace Cafe, and there's some guy walking around, you know, trying to be big dick number one. I've showed up with an H2. I showed up with a V4R. Everyone's like, ooh. This guy can just you can show up on this, get off the bike, and you don't even have to acknowledge you're there. And no one might, and someone might not even say, hey, there's a guy on an FGR. Because it kind of will just blend in with other naked bikes. As crazy as it looks to the uninitiated, it's kind of just a naked, technical-looking motorcycle, right? And just because you know you have the most horsepower, you can just go in, eat your sandwich, have your beer, and leave and not talk to a soul and not need to. Right. When you show up on the H2 with all of its green and gray and turbocharged or supercharging, I don't know. You kind of have to make a splash. The the Ducati V4 kind of has to make a splash. This is that sort of like confidence of like, I'm so rich, I don't need to wear socks kind of thing. Okay. I've I've got I've got the best way to put this bike. Cause you can see that this doesn't have any pillion seat on it at all. Yeah. This is sort of like, you know, with like a Panigale, you know, you see those shots in like in New York of like some guy riding a Panigale and he's got like two supermodels on the back. Right. This bike, you know, a supermodel wants to get on it and you say, no, thanks. I have hookers at home. The or I yeah I could I can I can dial anyone to be anywhere I want them to be. You're, you're I'm not, all set. Thank I'm you. all set. Thanks. Yeah. That yeah. Exactly. This is a different power level. It's for those people. But I love the way it does it because there's nothing normal about it. You know how like you know you know like um. There's a lot of, not a lot of, but there are some boutique motorcycles which are like, oh, it's a million dollar motorcycle because they just took a Panigale and put like diamonds in the paint, right? You know, it's like it's like the the ten thousand dollar martini where they just drop a diamond in the martini. Well, that's not a ten thousand dollar martini, is it, right? 
this really is a $130,000 motorcycle. It doesn't make any sense, but it is legitimately a $130,000. Like, what did it cost to make this engine, right? I mean, there may be legitimately, like, $80,000 of work and labor and parts in this bike. I don't think it's that high, but it it's plausible. Right. And it's so kooky. Everything about it's weird, and you've never heard of it, and it's Czechoslovakian. It's so, it's so satisfying as a boutique motorcycle, right? You know, when we when we were talking about like the Lamborghini motorcycle and how it this was is like really right. just a bu- a couple other motorcycles Frankenstein together with ridiculous like plastic bodywork and it wasn't very good it wasn't as powerful as people thought it would be or should be and it was just ugly and a disappointment this this is very satisfying this is like the motor i bet they build this in a workshop like in some obscure part of Czechoslovakia right next to the the genetic laboratory where they invented and breed like potbelly pig-sized elephants for for weird black market billionaires to keep as pets. Right. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) <laughs> so, All right, here we go. Yeah, the uh, the FGR Metalu twenty five hundred V six. It's it's satisfyingly deplorable in an age where it's not cool to be rich or flaunt your wealth or whatever. I'm in love with it. I don't know. It's it's pretty cool for me. All right, let's take a quick break, and then I think we got to go to the baggers race. I think so. All right. Let's do our thing. And we're back. So now, okay. So this is really going to fucking make up for all the scooter content in last week's episode. If you didn't hear, Moto America at their Laguna Seca round last week, just like they've been planning to do for an entire year, made good and had their King of the Baggers exhibition race, full race, eight laps of Laguna Seca, which granted is a very short race. That's like what? Nine miles. <laughs> like That's eight like laps five of Laguna laps Seca. on most, most tracks. But yeah. Yeah. So it was a bit of a sprint race, but whatever. The, it was unbelievably awesome in my opinion and i think it could possibly double the popularity of motorcycle racing in this country i don't think we need a whole series i do but we we need one or two races a year at least well at the very least it needs to be you know like the uh, the oxford cambridge rowing race Right. Yeah. Or the or the Kentucky Derby. These like once a year events that's sort of for all the marbles. 
Mm-hmm. If nothing else, the minimum thing it has to be is a race that happens every year, which is basically a, a Harley Indian and whoever want, else wants to show up kind of showdown for bragging rights. Like the kind of thing where it's only one race, but you show up with million-dollar teams anyway because the publicity of who wins is so big. Right. I mean, I'd love to see Harley Davidson do a full factory effort. I'd love to see Indian, but I'd love to see Honda do it too. Like, uh, so, okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's break down what the race was. So we said, you know, uh, Moto America has been teasing this race for a whole year and has come under some criticism for, for doing it. They just said, hey, we're going to race baggers. And no one really knew what that meant. And semi-famously, Jensen Beeler went on the Moto America podcast off track and gave Paul Carruthers a bunch of shit for wanting to host this. And I remember at the time saying that Jensen Beeler is full of shit. This is exactly the kind of stupid shit that we need. Like, okay, if you want to just show – if you want to only fly out to foreign countries to go see – fucking GP races and I don't know, just be as classy as you want to be. Okay, whatever. But this is fucking America. And if you want American fans, you've got to fucking do shit. Hot dogs, illegal fireworks, and Coors Light, American style, bro. And that's what this is. And you know, you can't say you dislike it because it isn't as fast, because the bikes are compromised. Because how do you justify watching the Liquid Molly Junior Cup? Those are less fast compromised bikes. Well, how do you even how do you even justify Moto Three in that case? Exactly. It's just a category of bike which exists. Uh, as a standard, right? The big cruiser bagger is a standard kind of commercially available hom- homologated sort of bike. There's no reason whatsoever you cannot make a racing category well, out of it. In fairness, and actually to its credit, I don't think any of these bikes were intentionally homologated. Well, okay. <laughs> no, but that's even more pure. Retroactively. They were homologated. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that they had to be like production, like, you know, like for like 70s NASCAR, you know, when they were still the actual cars that they were, you know, claiming to be. Right. So it's motorcycle racing in a very 70s NASCAR kind of way. Right. Yeah. And that's super appealing. Like, I believe they had to have like working lights on these bikes or something like that. They definitely had to keep the fairings, they kept the bags. Um, do they have to keep the seats? I, they they couldn't modify the frames. I don't think there was just any value in removing the lights. I, but normally you can't race with lights. So maybe some of them were stickers, but they didn't make stickers just for these things. I I don't know. It's it's confusing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so. So they're racing these big fucking bikes, right? They were doing what? Like 125, they said, like on the straights were the top speeds they were hitting. Yeah. So these bikes were actually, I think they were doing, 
I think they were actually about two seconds slower than Junior Cup. They looked faster. These bikes were so torquey. I'll tell you what, they took off. Uh, their their zero to one hundred was real fast. Oh, they looked super impressive, like within a single uh, camera pan. They looked fast. Uh, it looked exciting to me. Like I could not <laughs> have handled one of these bikes at that speed. There's no way. And uh, people were scraping knees. People were scraping boards. People were scraping bags. Uh, it was. It got. And, and there was some close racing too. Well, there was and there wasn't. Uh, well, okay. So the grid was ten bikes. There was more close racing than I would have expected for ten bikes on the first race ever of an experimental class when no one has any idea what to expect. It yeah. over delivered. It did. I. It was ridiculous. It was hilarious. It was awesome. It was. Both competitive and also not competitive. It was silly. It was, it was everything that I needed. You could tell that right. some people were taking it more seriously than they had to. <laughs> yeah, it 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 gave me kind of like a bit of um of like Goodwood vibes. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it was it was sort of because they're just sort of these kooky sort of half antique machines, half high tech. Yeah, it was weird. It was very satisfying and they were racing to win. Yes. So the the commentators were really playing up the Indian versus Harley aspect. Well, it's Indian versus Victory or Polaris as far as I'm concerned. So whatever. That Harley versus Oh, right. Harley versus Indian or victory, whatever. But that doesn't matter for me because I'm in it for the racing, right? So the 10 bikes were just all Harleys and Indians. There's one bike I couldn't tell what it was. Didn't seem to have a super big fairing on it. Uh, Well, most of them were – well, it was probably just a highly modified Harley Um, because S&S made fucking bank off of this race. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm surprised there wasn't someone didn't like a Turbo and F6B uh, Goldwing, though. Uh, there was one Turbo Harley, I think. There was. That was uh, by, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Um, he writes the, 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 the Panigale V4. Oh my God, Kyle Wyman. His younger brother, Travis Weidman, rode the bike. Travis Weidman, who races 600s? Uh, uh, no, he's in Junior Cup. He's the R3 rider. You're right. There yeah, we go. Travis Weidman rode the, the Turbo Harley. So there were Turbo Harleys in this race. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think if this develops, there, I mean, there should be a Vulcan 2000 in here. There should be... A there should be a Goldwing F6B, you know, do whatever you've got to do with rev limiters and whatever, but let's make it so it can be opened up for is this, anything. Wait, hang on. Is this what the Valkyrie needs to evolve to? Is this its place in the market? The Valkyrie Vaquero is like a starting platform for this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the displacement. I'm sure you can throw in a bunch of performance components. Or do they do they have to be V twins? I need to. I really should have looked at the rules for this. 
I should but, have too. But I, I, I they, if if they if they're supposed to be V twins, they shouldn't. It, it should be whatever you want, just as long as it's a bagger. I, I want to see a full front fairing. I, I want to see a full. I want to see full bags on the back. Um, I think they should open it up to bags with top boxes as well, or bikes with top. Boxes. <laughs> I, I don't, you know. Um, I know the bagger doesn't have a top box, you know. In ter- but I think it should be. But yeah, clearly they had to keep the bags. I think I don't know if they heightened the suspension or they brought the bags up or a little bit of both. But the bags were up pretty high off the ground. <laughs> for this. Yes. Um, so okay, I guess we should talk about the whole thing because you know there's a whole bunch of news articles about out about this about um um you know Indian winning and being the king of the baggers. To which I say, no shit. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. I don't know. See, we don't. The problem is, I don't know which of these bikes were running new Harley motors and which were running like old, but like where did they, what were the donor bikes exactly on the Harley side? We know they were all new Indian challengers. What doesn't really matter because all of, I mean, the, the, the Indian motors are not exactly super high performance motors, but in terms of stroke, yeah, in, in terms of over square versus under square and actual power output, the Indians smoke all the Harleys. And there's oh, yeah. no way around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if anyone was running a Milwaukee 8 in this or not. And I mean, here's who the thing. knows what it would ha- what would happen with an eighteen hundred revolution motor as well? I don't think it's close still, because torque is important, you know, in a lot of ways. But ultimately, horsepower is king. No, but I'm saying the 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 revolution, the 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 liquid cooled. Oh, the uh... isn't it called the revolution motor? Are you talking about the V rod motor? No, the the one off of the Pan America and the Bronx that they haven't put out. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure if that's that makes dead. It, well right, <laughs> but I'm saying if that was allowed to develop and be put in a big twin, oh that be because sweet. the numbers that we saw that they claimed that the the 900 or 950 whatever was making was right in par with the Ducati one liter motor. Mm-hmm. It's it's reasonable to assume that could be ramped up to eighteen hundred or two liters and would be comparable or slightly better than the Indian motor. Yes. Also, side it note, should scale up like we've seen in other engines. Also, from- uh, side note: for a future episode, we probably should have a fuck Harley episode for blue balling us. Yeah, on all of their plans for the next decade that they totally backed out of. Yeah. But anyway, let's get back to this race cuz this race was fantastic. This it was it was goofy, it was weird, but it was it was great. And you could see how very easily 
um, they kind of came up with the blueprint of this bike. And if you take a look, if if you just Google image search King of the Baggers bikes and just – because every team just put out basically a nice side shot of their bike and they all kind of went for the same thing. It's a cool-looking bike. I was showing some of my employees that ride this and – you know, I show them a lot of pictures of bikes and scooters and this and that and whatever. And sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cool. And sometimes they're like, whatever, Pete. Universally on this one, everyone went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If if this If this turns into a series, you will see people riding baggers around like this. People will be putting inverted forks. On their baggers and 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 raising the rear and stiffening the rear suspension and taking the plastic windshield off of the fairing and doing all this, you will see people doing it because they look cool. There's no way around it. They're cool. Yeah, clip-ons on a Challenger are an interesting look. I think it's I I I think it I think it all comes together. I really do. I love it. I think it's great. Now there is an interesting thing to look at here because, well, if you haven't seen it yet, then you can pause this episode and go watch the race. But there is something we do need to talk about. Okay. Uh, Well, actually, let's do something fun first, which is uh, we got to talk about uh, Frankie Garcia. 12 o'clocking is Harley. Yeah. No, it was an Indian. No, it was a Harley. No, it was an Indian. I don't believe you. It's an Indian. Uh, oh, yes, it is. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, well, of course, these bikes are already super high torque. You tune them to the absolute max. Of course, when you're trying to do a fast launch, it's going to be pretty easy to get it wrong and just straight up loop the bike. And loop it, he did. He made it maybe, what, nine feet? I'm not entirely sure if he was past 12 o'clock past where the front wheel was on the ground. Right. I think he might have done it in the length of the bike. <laughs> that is an accomplishment. That is that is that is oh. So okay, the the implications of this race. I have not found a person with the exception of like mom, right? Who I described the concept of this race to that wasn't like where do I watch this, right? Straight up, Moto America. You remember when GP made that Valencia round free where there was like more passing in the one race than there was in the, all of the Formula One series that year? Uh, it was a different race. but oh, It was not Valencia, but yeah. Um, Moto America needs to make this race free to the public. I think so. And I think it can generate a crazy amount of buzz. I mean, just the sh- just still shots of this race are 
complete clickbait. You want to have you want to have the most clicked on and commented thing on our motorcycles. Put up something from King of the Baggers. I'm sure it already is the most popular Reddit motorcycle thing already, right? Better be. It, it, it it's so. This is how you get non motorcycle people into motorcycle racing because they understand the look of these bikes. They understand something about the culture of these bikes. They have, even if they they're not motorcyclists, because it's sort of a a part of the American tradition. It seems there's that tiny bit of everybody that has a little bit of stakes in it. You know, NASCAR and monster truck racing had just as many female fans as male fans at its height because it, it was Ford versus Chevy. It was, you know, there were these big teams and these tribes to be a part of. And then the individual drivers had all their stories as well. Right. Right. So you kind of came for the cars and the tribes and you stayed for the stories. Because kids and women and everybody was into NASCAR at its height. And, you know, why? Because it was really easy to, to understand what was going on, even if you didn't care about the racing on a technical level. So in this, you can get all these people coming to see this spectacle or see, you know, and I, and I agree as far as racing goes, it's, there's, there's a lot of empty calories here. I get that. But if they're showing up to see King of the Baggers, they're going to watch the 400s. They're going to watch the Superbikes. And all of a sudden, they're going to respect that kind of racing a lot more as well. They're not going to come only for the Baggers, which is the genius that they realized to do this whole thing as a single race to begin with. Anyone that doesn't think this should be a full series obviously doesn't want to support motorcycle racing in general all that much. That's a bit far, but yep. I don't think so. Having this does not cheapen superbike racing. Oh, absolutely not. Not at all. Right. The only people that are against this, namely Jensen Beeler, think it cheapens superbike racing. And that's fucking retarded. It is. Anyway, okay, so there is a little bit of a problem that I think will need to be addressed because this race was awesome. It was everything I hoped it would be. But we do need to talk about the competition because actually there was only uh, two Indians in this entire race. Oh, really? I thought they were at least like three or four. Okay, well, whatever. Yeah. So there were two there were two Indians and this is still at least on the Moto America stage is going to be you know kind of in the same category as you know like the the heritage race you know as or as a classic bike race it's a different category it's not super serious it's not where all the money's going but it's a fun little thing to add to tack on and there were two Indians they came first and third out of admittedly 13 bikes. But uh, Tyler O'Hara on the Indian Challenger uh, got, or, oh no, sorry, 
I can't remember what the bike was, but it was um uh sorry, that's the sponsor. But Tyler O'Hara on his Indian came first one by two seconds, and his best lap was two point six seconds faster than anybody else. Yeah, he would have won it by like 14 seconds but he totally blew a corner and went off track and then he got did. back on in like third place and, and worked of, his way back up to the lead he kind of pulled a marquez and yes. like ran off track and lost like 10 seconds well again it's race one like no one has these bikes dialed in it's kind of too early to tell but it, there it is logical to draw the conclusion that Indian would just run away with this thing. And that's why I say it has to be a more regular series and it has to be opened up. You have to let somebody tune up like a, a 20, a 2016, like F six B and put like a turbo on it or something. You, you know, even well, if you've got to put a rev limiter on that or whatever it is, there are ways to do it. Well, this is where we have to look at the market and, decide to go one of two ways because as i mentioned earlier about uh you know as we talked about with harley ditching the revolution motor and like drastically scaling back production and going for this sort of weird boutique uh exclusivity market to try and save the company yet again harley's not going to produce anything that competes with this. That's well. They only production. have to make one bike, and it can be no, no. I, so as I imagine this series evolving, like the rules change every year, and kind of like NASCAR, they kind of, you know, they start resembling the bikes as much as like the drag bikes resemble the original bikes, right? They start taking yeah. on weird swoopy bodywork and strange seating positions and all kinds of crazy things, and before you know it, like. 30, 20, you know, 22 years into the future, we've got these sort of stock, similar looking, um, you know, bagger race bikes that have this unusual shape. And, you know, a lot of people are like, why are these these big weird bumps in the bodywork on the back of these bikes? Well, they're supposed to be baggers. They, they're not really baggers anymore, but they were back in the day. I'm fine with it going off into weird directions. It doesn't have to remain this pure, <laughs> crazy thing, right? But because the whole thing is, yeah, it is a gimmick. It's a really fun, awesome gimmick that will get eyeballs into the sport, that will get people into into superbike racing. There's no question. So let it, you know, just keep adjusting the rules to keep it um, easy entry and as fair competitively as possible, right? Right. But if we're talking about like the top, if we're going to, Obviously, there's so much refinement that would need to you happen. Wanna, but you want to generate characters. And you want to generate stories, right? Like, what if they say, "All right, Indian, we're taking off 800 RPM." Well, then all of a sudden, a Harley might win, and all the Indian people are like, "Yeah, but it's only because they they limited the Indian's engine and what." And now you got beef. Now you got a rivalry. <laughs> now, now you're really talking with eyeballs, right? I'm back. Actually, you know, you've convinced me. I'm I'm totally down with this. Because in World Superbike, I think it's bullshit the way they limit the RPMs when most of the bikes are running the same engine. It's super high performance. And they just said, oh, well, we're just going to fuck with your with your ECU and oh, on lower the, your... Yeah, on low, the Kawasaki's. Lower yeah. the Kawasaki's RPMs. But here, like, 
the amount that will enrage people, I actually kind of love it. Yeah, it will, then, it will only help the series do what it does better, best already, or series, what it could potentially do better, which is get people riled up and excited. Well, let's be real. This is an MMA. This is the WWE. Oh, of, absolutely. Of yeah, motorcycle yeah. racing. And that's fine. There's room for that. I like I like that angle a lot more. Okay. Yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> and, and can you imagine, like, if a Honda wins... Oh yeah. Everyone will lose their minds, double their efforts, right? You know? <laughs> it's fantastic. Like what if a Kawasaki won? <gasps> I mean, it, not, uh, it's fantastic. I yeah. It it's got to be there's got to be a reasonable um there there can't be too many barriers to entry, right? So it's it's got to be a very carefully written rule book that's also very careful to upset the right people the right amount. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, th- the point is not to be the most pure racing series that ever happened. Yeah, th- this needs to be like this this is this needs to be like soap operas for gearheads. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, we need some 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 Jeff Gordon versus Earnhardt. Like we need people talking shit in magazines behind people's back. We need we need people getting dropped from their factory rides without being alerted. <laughs> we we need all kinds of you know, and it only needs to be. Let, let's let's up it to four rounds next year, you know, and, and then see where that goes. Because I think you're going to get a lot more people turning. Like, can you, what if they ran these at Coda? People would lose their minds. Well, we also should point out that I don't think we had. I think all four bikes that actually um, DNF'd. Uh, didn't actually crash they just all blew their motors even better even (laughs) better i love it some go some blow right (laughs) i'm what the one thing i'm worried about is like when we see a crew like a proper bagger crash at 110 miles an hour are we gonna rethink this whole endeavor I hope not. I mean, it's, I, I love it. I, I, I love it too, but you know, this does reintroduce the idea of violent high sides in a really extreme way that you, we may want to make sure these bikes have some pretty advanced traction control <laughs> moving <laughs> forward. But in general, I think it's fine. I, Big torquey bikes that aren't quite as fast that, but because they do look really fast. Well, there's something they, about the mass of them. It, what's the mass and the torque that, and also it's just on TV, just within a single camera pan coming out of a, a slow turn with all the torque and the size of the bike, it looks fast. Yeah, that's all you need. I, well, not only that, but like, there's a lot of skill in just getting this much this much mass around a corner. 
Well, uh, through a chicane, just flipping it one side to the other. And then trying to undercut somebody at the same time. Yeah, and it's just physically that much more bike, which makes the which makes the passes like more spectacular. It's it's wonderful. I'm all about it. I think it is I think the racing, because of the nature of the engines, it's a it brings in new dynamics. It's it's great to watch. I I yeah, there's how could anybody not be into this? But it is I think one of the, the the smartest things that Moto America has done. And I'm so glad that they didn't scrap it because it would have been really easy to go, you know what? Not this year. It's too complicated putting this extra event it's on. more people. But they did yeah, the smart but... thing and they went, no, it's even more important to do it this year. And that's a yeah. big deal. That's that Moto America continues to impress the shit out of me. I agree. Okay. So we're at about an hour. Let's take another quick break. Then we'll come back with our next topic. Let's do the thing. Okay. So next topic. Can motorcycles bridge a gap between gasoline cars and electric cars? Well, the answer to that question, I think, depends a lot on how you view the future of gas versus electric cars. So what spurred this is, a few weeks ago, Gavin Newsom, right, governor of California? Yes. Yes. The colossal idiot that he is, just declared by 2030, no more gasoline cars will be sold in California, which is absurd. But people without two brain cells to rub together on one side said, that is 100% undoable, which is not true. And people said, that 100% has to happen. In fact, let's bump it up two years or whatever, right? We should have only electric cars sold now, man. And both sides are completely out of their minds. And as usual, it turns out the truth and what's realistic is a little bit more complicated and more nuanced. Now, obviously, the greatest thing that could happen to humanity is we perfect some sort of really cheap, easy to implement, renewable, high output, renewable energy resource. And then after that, we discover some amount of oil that's like larger than the surface, you know, some pocket of oil deep in the Earth's crust that's larger than the surface area of the Earth, right? You just, this pocket of it that is just, it'll take us 10,000 years to exhaust. So we have both. And we can use that, that, then that oil resource at some very small, low impact level for things that just fossil fuels are better for power wise. But that's not going to happen, either of those things. We're not going to have a really, really great electronic resource, uh, renewable resource that's better than fossil fuel. And we're not going to end up with so much fossil fuel that we'll never run out of it. So we have to kind of live, find a balance of both that tips in the favor of renewable resource eventually and 
you know, rethink the way that we're currently doing transportation. I want to nitpick what you just said like 12 different ways, but we're just going to accept it as truth and move on. Okay. Well, yeah. The the true the the ultimate point I made though is that we have to rethink the way we do transportation. Yes, right. That that's what I was building to. So, I don't believe that in our lifetime we'll be able to just completely stop using petroleum in order to produce gasoline to to run some vehicles. I just I do not believe. We are going to tackle the the density problem with batteries in order to do that. And even if I did, I don't know that it's going to be that cheap and that effective to produce that many batteries. Uh, I think we'll figure it out, but we'll be retired by then. If retirement's still a thing. Yeah, retirement's yeah. not a thing right now. So, is so you're talking about if retirement comes back? Is what you're saying? Uh, yeah. We got some time. We'll see. So, we were talking about the perfect commuter motorcycle in the last episode. Now, I think we're sort of nearing the end of a golden age of motorcycles where everything has been performance driven. Cars have not really been performance-driven for a while now. Well, there is – cars have relaxed to the point where – and honestly, they've been – Performance is not a selling point. Well, back in the 90s, cars managed to – the real turning point was the invention of – well, the the kind of the start of it was the invention of the station wagon. And then it really culminated – in the minivan where we realized that cars could just be utilitarian. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't have to say, it didn't have to be everything about your status. It still was, but the, the function of the vehicle, we we realized people started caring more about the stereo and the cup holders than the flashy paint job. Right. And the noise it makes. So cars now are very different. And we might end up in a world, or we might be in a world where there's this class of motorcycles that coincides with that sort of thinking. So I was envisioning, well, what if, as a sort of stepping stone for a lot of people, well, you know, going, I can't afford an electric car or whatever, but I need something with range and I need something with some decent level of performance. And I need something that can get me from here to there. What if we had something not unlike a Honda NC750, but a little more like a 400, had a similar horsepower to weight ratio as, say, a Camry, right? Mm-hmm. You can easily overtake a semi with it, but and and I'll accelerate some cars or whatever but it's not it's not like rip your face off power or anything right it's it's like 32 horsepower to 480 pounds of bike right right somewhere in there and it gets i think in that you can achieve, you know if you put a CVT transmission on it so it's really easy to deal with in traffic, stop and go traffic. It's 
I think it can get like 70 plus miles per gallon, you know, 80 plus miles per gallon. I think that's achievable. I think with a flat twin motor, you can have all kinds of built-in storage. I think there's a little way to make a fairing that has a place to slide in a laptop and it has a place to put a jacket or a coat in a fake tank in front of you. I think it's the sort of form it's got maybe it has a not a top box but the tail is you know the where the passenger sits is just a big open seat compartment it's got a big 90 sport bike style fat ass tail that just opens up as just a big compartment you know a, a true trunk mm-hmm. not with the wheel splitting it it's all above the wheel but it's not a dorky looking top box so and i think it's an attractive vehicle that's not dorky that's not aggressive either that's not that doesn't say i'm a biker it's just super practical it's still fun obviously but it's not it's not a a it's not an enthusiast vehicle i think there's going to be a new class of bike and i think it does require that dct becomes accepted and what I think is going to happen is that CVT is going to go away. And we're going to have purely dual-clutch motorcycles on the low end. Once dual-clutches are accepted enough, and that in the more enthusiast market as a low-end option, they become more popular, what will happen is that you will have a single motor and a single transmission that goes into all of your low-end bikes and scooters. And what you do is that for the scooters, it is just a purely DCT twist and go. And we're going to have a lot of small-end motorcycles that have a DCT that you can put a shifter on that will fake... A manual transmission. I don't think so because the CVT is going to be cheaper to produce and it's going to be more fuel efficient. The, 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 the CVT is going to be more fuel efficient than the DCT. Not if it's all one frame, one motor, one transmission for 10 different bikes. Perhaps. But what we're both talking about is is similar. It's a it's a relatively low horsepower, low performance for motorcycles. It's still going to be more performance than your average car. But it's got to be at least in that that 30 something horsepower range because as things like electric cars that have ridiculous acceleration off the line come into play, passing power is going to mean more and more. Yes. So the the old idea of, well, 10 horsepower is all you need. As I said, increasingly riding a scooter in traffic is going to become a thing of the past because you just need more in a world of electric cars to get off the line and get around people and get out of situations. It's, it's just the truth. Unless you're riding in an area where everything's going to be – where everything else is going to be um, – autopilots you know i mean people don't trust autopilot i totally fucking trust autopilot i trust it more than people 
I don't, you know, but that's just me. A lot of people are like, no way, man, Pete. Like, that's the robots taking over. Shut up. <laughs> Trust me. You know what never stops paying attention? The fucking computer. Okay? It's that simple. Uh, so anyway, we're talking about bridging the gap. We're talking about creating vehicles that are so crazy efficient that of course they're not going to be better than some zero emissions vehicle that you could theoretically just power from the sun, even though it's going to take you like two weeks to fucking charge it. And it's not realistic. You could theoretically still. So the idea of the electric vehicle is, well, it's more flexible on where it gets its fuel from. Like if you're driving around your Tesla right now and you think you're doing awesome shit for the earth, I've got news for you. Currently, the carbon footprint of your Tesla is larger than a gasoline-powered car. Um. It won't always be, but currently it is. The electricity that was was made by burning something somewhere. Even if you're even if your electricity is made by coal, it doesn't actually matter. It's still good. The upfront cost, the upfront emissions of actually making your vehicle uh have a huge effect but broadly most places in the world if you have your car for more than two years and you would have all either if you didn't have if you didn't buy your electric vehicle and you otherwise would have bought a gas car it on average takes i think about two years and then you're in the clear like and then you're actually Lowering emissions. At a very slow rate. But yes, you are. Uh, what I'm saying is it's not the sea change that you think it is. Well, it is and it isn't. And I, I don't want to lawyer you here. Well, it, but, but it depends on where that energy comes from in the future. The point is, is that by getting a vehicle that gets insane mileage and ha and is sort of choked up, is if the whole point of the bike is that it's so choked up with emissions regulations and whatever. Well, because it's so light to begin with versus a car, well, you can make all those compromises and still end up with something that's a little bit quicker and more engaging and better and faster and cheaper to buy than a car. And you can be so fuel efficient that you're sort of on par currently with or sort of competing maybe not as close to having a fully electronic vehicle but you're you're still moving in the right direction right right because getting an electric car isn't like i said the sea change in carbon reduction that you think it is a a unbelievably high mileage bike might is conceivably just as effective as a stopgap in between yes Right. So that's what we're talking about, bridging the gap. Well, maybe you don't have $50,000 for a, a Tesla, but you might be able to buy a motorcycle for somewhere between six and seven that effectively does the same thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many people have sent us emails on the podcast saying, Hey, I drive three hours a day, an hour and a half each way to get to work and back, and I listen to your podcast 
every week and it makes my day. And we, after which we re, we think you're insane. Well, right. Like, but if you drive, I've stopped far, listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, if you're driving that far, you know how many of these people are in, you know, four seater cars. How many of these people are in trucks? Oh, eighty percent of them, at least. Like it doesn't make sense, right? Now, and I also understand that not everyone can ride a motorcycle every day. There is inclement weather; it's a thing. But there's there's two great points. Um, one is well, with the forty three thousand dollars that you saved not buying a Tesla. You could buy a beater four-wheel drive truck and just ride it on drive it on those inclement days. Or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or just a front-wheel drive sedan. You'd be amazed with a little bit of driving skill just how far front-wheel drive will get you. Even here in Colorado, even in the mountains. Well, technically rear-wheel drive is actually better in the snow. What, what, hold know, on. You've said a lot of questionable things. No, no rear wheel drive in the snow is better if you're not shit at driving. I hard disagree. Hard disagree. It's no, 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 nope, no. It's true. It's not true. It's definitely true. I don't think it's true. Anyway, point is, is that front wheel drive or rear wheel drive if the snow's coming down, you'd rather be inside that car with the heat than you would on the bike. Yes. Um, so, you know, like buy a beater car and just drive it on those days. You know, or you said, you know, in a world where we had maybe something like uh, universal basic income, maybe if there's a blizzard, we could all afford to just wait a day. Well, I don't think that requires universal basic income. I think it just requires a reorganization and a it it requires a philosophy change of there's a lot of asynchronous work that needs to get done that doesn't necessarily have to be on a timetable we don't need to be clock watching right but if you're paid by the hour you kind of have to drive in that weather to get to work right yeah so it it requ- that requires a major transformation which I feel like there may be elements that we may see soon out of this pandemic. Hopefully, if there is something good to come out of it, that would be a nice one. But in any case, I I think this sort of commuter class of bikes is a very realistic stop. I think there is a 70 to 80 mile, uh, mile per gallon plus bike that has not power that maybe isn't as thrilling as people think but definitely not as boring as people think right well how much fun have we okay well think actually of, we promise yeah, not we're not to gonna talk, talk about scooters. no let's take a ninja 250 right <laughs> yeah or, or a ninja 300 people or ninja 400 we're talking about ninja 400 power people love the ninja 400 no yeah. one has caused called the ninja 400 boring we're talking ninja 400 power Basically, my favorite test ride was on a Ninja 400 on the highway. Right. Like it's 
It's mm-hmm. fantastic. And we're not saying that's the only kind of bike you can have. We're not saying that's the bike for everybody in the future. But I think there's a lower displacement, lower mid displacement, I think would be the way to categorize it. It's like mid displacement now is anywhere from 400 almost up to a liter, depending on the kind of bike that you're riding. But that that low end of the mid displacement or the high end of small displacement, I think there's something in there. And I think I think you make it CVT, at least for now. Like it's not a shifting bike. I think it's, you have every option available. Well, yeah. In whichever way, you have every... Well, of course, free market competition. That will just naturally well, happen, but... I think you have every, not not even every actual option available, but you have every interface available. Okay, sure. Yes. No, I, I agree. I agree. I think, I think what would emerge, though, as the best cost-effective, you know, cheapest one that's approachable by just anybody, you know... Something where you can argue that you won't have to have a motorcycle license to drive it. Some sort of vehicle that is compromised towards car drivers enough, but still a two-wheel vehicle. You know, twist and go as far as your power is concerned. Maybe you don't have to have a full motorcycle license. Maybe it's like a four- to five-hour weekend class you can take. And rather than a full full endorsement, it's like a just a thing you take once, and it's it's not even like pass fail. Like you can just take it, and then you can ride this bike. I don't even think that's necessary. It's a barrier for a lot of people. The actually going and getting the license part of it, which seems insane, since it's this thing that we've all gone through. But for people that don't have a necessary, necessarily a passion for wanting to ride, it's kind of a big barrier for a lot of folks. I, mm, yeah, we have both purchased vehicles from people because they just couldn't be bothered to Look, go get their license. I am the only member of this family who actually went and got a full license before purchasing a motorcycle. That's Which true. I guess kind of <laughs> makes your point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's a barrier. I mean, like now in, in all those states where you can just ride on a permit, hey, you just get the permit. You just go to the BMV and fill out 25 questions, right? So maybe you create a class of vehicles that you can legally indefinitely ride on a permit. It's a it's a permit class. Maybe commuter class is the wrong word. Maybe it's permit class. I think what needs to happen to make this work, which actually fits perfectly within all of the new emission standards that everybody wants to have, that makes California happy, that fits within the skills gap, is... You just say, okay, we're going to create a new class and we're going to say under 400 cc's, you can ride without a full license if it's a CVT or a dual clutch. Right. And then you just restrict the motorcycle license to over that cc's or manual transmission. And you're done. It's not perfect, but we're close. Right. Yeah. 
something along these lines to open that avenue up. And it's not even just, like I said, for purely wanting more people to ride, which would be a great benefit, and then maybe finally people could lane split. But as I said, like emissions-wise, I think there's a strong case that it, over the next 20, 25 years, you could have people riding things that big picture for that gap of time are roughly equivalent to having electric vehicles roughly mm. it's it's a step towards that do you mean riding 500 pounds as opposed to two tons over a yeah. distance of 80 miles a day might yeah, make it's a difference just gonna take less energy to move that mass exactly crazy yeah but <laughs> What well, what is it? Um, it's um, it's uh, what over distance is work. Um, oh my gosh, uh, time over. What's the fucking formula? I'm beers in. This is the universal formula. Uh, no, it's uh, mass over distance for work. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Hold on. <laughs> this is it is. Yeah. No, it's mass over distance. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mass over distance. Mass times distance. Force mass over. over distance or velocity mass over distance. Yes. Yeah. So, right. It's just less with a motorcycle than it is with a car. It's just less. Okay. Now, these high-performance motorcycles are not as fuel-efficient, obviously, which is why you get things like Ducatis that get 38 miles per gallon, oh, which uh, sounds high until you realize that it only gets you about 128 miles down the road. Like, are you telling me that a Panigale V4 is not a practical commuter vehicle? <laughs> right. So, anyway, I, I, th- I mean, I would... You know, okay, so I know we said we wouldn't talk about scooters, but just we're not going to talk about scooters. But, you know, off mic here, we were saying, well, there's kind of a vehicle already that hits a lot of these boxes. And that's like the Suzuki Bergman 400, essentially. Gets really, really close to the kind of thing that we're talking about. Although I argue, at least for the United States, it's not appropriate because – Whilst it's definitely a capable vehicle, there's something about the scooter body design setup that I don't know that I really want to make that fast a lane changes with it. And you know what I mean? It's not as stable as the way, you know, weight is distributed and planted at high speed on a bike. No, it's just not. Okay. Look, there's a shortcut here, what? which is why can't we have more bikes like the Suzuki across? Yeah, there is no good example. Exactly, because as this this very this very low key uh, category of bike we're talking about emerges, well, then you're going to get things that are like sort of sporty. You know, like let's think about a car like the the Veloster, right? Not really that sporty, but it is sporty versus a Ford Fiesta. Right, so in the sea of people with their totally blah cars, it's a little bit less blah. Right, 
you'll have motorcycles like the Suzuki across or so, not like this. No, because the Suzuki across is anything but blah. But you'll have little gems that pop out that are better than they need to be or 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 accentuate a single uh, aspect within the class. There'll be one that just has absurd amounts of storage and there'll be one that has lower storage and is faster. There'll be variation, of course. Well, not, not only not only just pointing at that, but also just there is a Civic Type R. If anyone has seen this car, this is a commuter car that is ostensibly aspires to be a Nissan GTR. Well, the the one from like 2006 that they released in Europe with the with the gear shift that was in the dashboard <laughs> is kind of a top 10 like car I need to own before I die. <laughs> and that was before it was called the 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 Civic Type R. It was called something else. I'm trying to remember. <clears throat> oh, that's a but bonkers car. <laughs> There are many ridiculous civics, but the point is, is that there is a, the, the automotive world has accepted that there is such a thing as a class competitor that meshes with the real world and that you can integrate into your life. The fact that there are competitive civic racing vehicles the fact that people are modding civics and fiestas and focuses and for the listeners i just brought up a picture of the civic (laughs) it's when you just had to stop for a second (laughs) it looks like something that shouldn't even work there's only one other car that i have seen this kind of gear shifter in and it was a Fiat Panda. Oh, this is back when it was the Civic SI before they got into the hard R branding. The hard R. <laughs> <laughs> before they threw the hard R on the Civic. <laughs> what a stupid joke. Okay. Is that the title of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, but the point is that. There is, like, across all sorts of different, you know, motor... And all sorts of different kind of aspirations in terms of motorsports in cars. There is a very practical day-to-day commuter equivalent. Is what I'm trying to get at. Of course, yeah. And now, you know, we, we talked, you know... Also off off mic, we talked a lot about um, really kind of all roads so far have led back to uh, the NC750 in one way or another. In terms of a practical motorcycle, yes. It's, it's really hard to beat in terms of practicality. I mean, there's a couple others that get close to it and have a cheaper price tag. But then over the long-term ownership of the vehicle, I don't know that that lower price tag really pans out either. It's, you know, yeah. I I feel like we could find like four sub $1,000 
Well, NC speaking of Honda, the, the, right the other vehicle that we thought comes really close to hitting this already is a bike that no one ever heard of. The Honda, was it the Integra? Yes. Which is basically an uh, an NM4. It's it's a it's the seven hundred dual clutch. Um, it's it's an underbone motorcycle. It's a motorcycle. It looks a little scooterish, but it's an underbone motorcycle for sure. Well, this is this is the big, it's, this it's is got the- a swing arm. It's got motorcycle tires. It's got motorcycle shocks and suspension. It's just it's it's step over not step through i don't know i i haven't looked into it too much but i feel like this is like the the greatest deceit of all time just as a just looking at it right away is essentially it is an mm4 with different plastics absolutely and the nm4 comes closer to our vision than even this does because it has integrated storage it's not done particularly well, but it does have integrated storage. I think we need to place a higher premium on integrated storage within the triangle. Yes. Yeah, or or inside the tail. Like the Actually, tail itself is storage or within the triangle. Yes. Does everybody know what the triangle is? Is that is that just a uh, a blanking like an engineering term or something? No, uh, rider <clears throat> safety term. Yes, but uh, MSF. MSF. There we go. I've been drinking a lot. If you can't tell, if you um, don't know, the 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 rider triangle is basically a triangle that starts at the top of your helmet. Goes down roughly behind, like six inches behind your feet, and then goes roughly six inches behind the front wheel. I thought it was from the center of your wheels in an equilateral triangle. Maybe it is. Well, I don't. I can't remember if it's if it's a triangle for traction or if it's no, not for traction. Anyway, it's it's it's, It's for center of mass and stability. Center of mass and stability. In which if you if you want to have your ride be stable, you need to have all of your weight within it, which naturally all saddlebags are outside of. Yes. Which is why if you actually look at any saddlebag you buy, any manual or instruction, any instruction manual that comes with them, or if you if you have integrated storage and then you look in your owner's manual, you'll realize that those gigantic saddlebags have a, a weight rating of like five pounds each. Yeah, like it's incredibly disappointing how much weight they say that you actually should put in them. Right. I I always thought the triangle was there's some point in the middle of the bike along its wheelbase that is the center of the of the mass, and then the tri- the two p- lower points of the triangle were halfway from the wheels from that center of mass is what I thought it was. Like, there's no exact way to know. You'd have to weigh the bike and get on measuring tape and all, you know, stupid stuff. But it starts from the highest point of the weight to the midpoint of the weight in the back and the midpoint of the weight in the front half of the bike, and that's your triangle. But it doesn't matter. We're we're largely talking about the same thing, which is 
there's a triangle that most of the mass should be in. I'm sorry for bringing this up. Yeah, I don't know why <laughs> we're going that deep into it. It's probably no, I'll bet nobody has defined it actually that specifically. And I've just made assumptions for this. That's I'm pretty confident that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, anyway, now we're going to get an MSF instructor to emails and go, actually, the right of triangles defined, and please send us that, and we'll put it in corrections and omissions, and then it doesn't matter how wrong I am, because the next episode will have it right. There we go. Help us out so we can just keep talking bullshit. Okay. Uh, so I think we laid out our, our reasoning there pretty solidly. Now, some people may disagree. We know nothing that burns gas is going to be as good as electric. We're saying roughly equivalent for a time that we're adapting from one technology to the other, a stopgap technology, which would actually be a sort of de-evolution of motorcycle tuning for mass efficiency instead of power could be a roughly equivalent stopgap for maybe the next 25 years is what we're saying. Not that motorcycles will replace electric vehicles as an ongoing pie in the sky situation. Just putting that out there before we get the angry email. Yeah. All I'm going to say is that, uh, de-evolution is a retarded word i know it is never say it again (laughs) yeah but but again it's a term it's something that people understand what i'm saying i know why couldn't you just say stop gap i did say stop gap you know what why don't we get to you reading the emails drunk uh okay we can but apparently you've got like two-thirds of the emails well, not really. It's just for like a month. There's these emails that people sent to me that we just haven't brought up. So, how about this one? Not that one. Boo, 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 boo. Isn't this exciting? How about, did we read this one from Jay? I don't know if we did or not. Hmm. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So there was a guy that wrote us an email about the time that we uh, took a hiatus. And anyway, so... I think we read this. Did we read this one? The uh, the one about um, this is a British accent, American passport. He's another sort of transatlantic guy. Sounds like we did. I don't know if we did or not. Oh, well, that. read it again. Okay. <sighs> so anyway, he said it's um, with a heavy heart that I write this email as it means that after discovering your podcast last autumn, I finally worked my way through all of your episodes, and I'm finally caught up. Which sadly means no more daily Nokomoto. I promised myself I would send an email as soon as I caught up, because we share kind of similar stories growing up. Did we read this one? I don't think so, but I'm not a reliable narrator here. I'm really not either. Anyway. Just do it. 
Okay, let's let's skip to the meat and potatoes here. He says, so he was born in L.A. to in the 80s to an English mother and a Lebanese father. Moved back to London when he was a baby. Then in 88, his dad decided moving to Lebanon would be a great idea. Blah, 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 blah. Motorcycle scene in, in Cyprus in the 90s was massive. Um, people in flip-flops and ponytails riding... Jixer 1100s. I think we read this one. I don't know. My buddies and I were only about 14 or 15. So between us, we only had a Honda Shally and a DT125. I'm familiar with a DT125, but I got to look up this Honda Shally. Oh my God. Wow. This is awesome. Check this hot shit out. It's, it's somewhere between... <laughs> It's somewhere between oh, okay. it's somewhere between a super cub and uh and a trail 70. Yeah. Uh, how did we never get this? It's got to be the trail 70 motor. Uh but it's got leg guards like a super cub. What a cool little thing. I bet it's got chunky little tires. I it's some mix of parts for sure, but that's really charming. I like that. Yeah. I, this is, I guess there's a 50cc version as well. So there's a 50 and a 70. Hey, it takes a grocery basket pretty well. Look at that. Mm. I will do more research on that later. Uh, so, uh, anyway. Huh, so in 2012, he moved back to the UK to Romford, to be precise, uh, with his girlfriend, who's now his wife. He's got a regular nine-to-five. So after so many years working overseas, I felt I was really missing something. Then one day on a sunny weekend in April six years ago, now I remember it exactly. I was driving to Tesco, and I saw a dude on a big Triumph Cruiser, and I realized what my life was missing. I needed to finally get that motorcycle license, and I went straight home. And book my course. My wife decided she didn't want to be a pillion, and she did the course herself. I will admit I'm a Harley boy, but not into the cosplay or the hog scene. The first bike bought was an Iron 883, and he now is a 2017 Lowrider S. At the time of riding, he says, I'm in the process of selling our flat and buying a house with a garage. You guys have lived in England. You know the glory of having your own garage. Garage. I just love saying the garage that way. And that's attached to your house. I plan to buy a Jixer 600 once I've moved because I want to ride all bikes. Yes, you do. Everyone should want to ride all bikes. So that's my story. I love your show, and I've listened to it nearly every day for the last eight months. Keep up the good work, and I would definitely support a Patreon. I'm glad the video I sent you about the Triumph opened up a discussion. You guys made good content out of it. All the best, and thank you for keeping me entertained. Regards, Jay. So, what have we got to say about that? Well, I've got to say that low rider S. I mean, it's still a lot of bike to be riding around England. I, I mean, but you know, more power to you, right? Um, nothing wrong with that bike. I, I probably would have stuck to the eight eight three though. To be honest, I don't know. I. Like, uh, who was it? I was hearing, um, oh my God, I can't remember his name. It's Chan, 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 not Chandler, Chan. 
it's a, it's a ch name. Um, the dude on uh, Cleveland Motor that writes for the, the Harley forums. Anyway, Cameron, not Ch. It's Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have that. So Cameron, you say when they, you know, at whatever point, if Harley gets rid of the sportsters, people have thought they would or wouldn't or whatever. uh, There'll be this contingent of people that go, oh, there goes the last real Harley Davidson. Right. As Harley Davidson is becoming this legacy sort of thing, just, especially now going to this exclusivity model. There is a certain idea to, even if it is only like 46 horsepower or whatever, a Harley 883 is a very old school Harley, right? There's no heated grips and not, I guess I guess you could put heated grips on it, but there's no bells and whistles. It's just a really bare bones motorcycle. Well, let me put this to you, which is, can you think of, you know, outside of a lot of older Hondas with better fairing options, can you think of a pre-70s motorcycle that is popular with any aftermarket or option <clears throat> or factory options? Or does everybody want it stock? I say forget the whole argument. Jay needs to buy another Honda Shally. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep looking back at this thing. (laughs) That's, yeah. It is very charming. Oh, look at this custom one. (laughs) It's got pipes. Got a two-tone paint job. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, what you doing? I, I mean, yeah, get 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 your Jixer 600 for sure. But um yeah, get get one of these old Honda Shallies and, and redo it in your in your garage. Um we should explain for the American listeners, in the UK, a uh an attached garage is a really big deal still today. It's 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 such a big deal that people who have them don't appreciate them and park their cars on their driveway and just fill their their garage with rusty nails and loose pieces of wood and all sorts of shit. No, this is the way to describe it. Um, and this is going to sound really odd to our American or Canadian listeners or even Australian ones. When someone's describing their house in the UK and they mention that they have a garage, they will say attached or detached in reference to the garage and even the house itself. They'll refer to their house as attached or detached. So it, it's just a part of living, you know, in in anything that's remotely urban. In a densely populated country, yes. Yes. Uh, that's just the way it goes. So so uh Jay, if you if you're living that dream, if you are living that UK dream of, of covered parking and lower insurance as a result, uh I say start with restoring one of these Honda Shell. Like where I don't know how you're gonna get one. Um, but like who's making these little mini plastic leg guards, right? If if your bike comes with those broken, your restoration's over. 
<laughs> what an adorable the CF seventy shell. What an adorable thing. All right, next email. Do, 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 do. What else is on my inbox? Um, oh, we were talking about Nova Scotia and Scott. Um, there's really nothing much to say except that he's a machinist, a millwright, or recently retired. He's 58 and retired in Nova Scotia. We're saying retirement isn't real. It is in Nova Scotia. God, I love Canada. Like the government still <laughs> lets people retire, right? Uh, but he does have a cool 2008 1250 bandit, and he hopes one day we'll visit and he can show us around with his bandit. So maybe we'll want to take something with a little more pep than the scooters. <laughs> um, yeah, the bandit gets a lot of hate. Well, not a lot of hate, but it doesn't because it's because it's still a cradle frame. Because it's not clip-ons. It's it's a stupid amount of power and stupid amounts of torque, but never really gets recognized because it's in a sort of 1980s kind of package for that kind of engine, I guess. It is sort of the air-cooled cradle frame endgame is what it really is. It is. And I think that's its own kind of special bragging rights myself. But I, is it... Is it the legit? Uh, what's the term? Um, um, uh, standard Japanese motorcycle. What's the acronym? UJM. UJM. Is it the ultimate UJM? Is it the UJM Endgame? Because we think of the UJMs as that cradle frame, inline four, twin sort of thing. Is it? I think it is. It's the end of that particular story. I think so. I think that's a good way to think of the bandit, the ultimate UJM, like where the line ends. Okay. Booba dooba doo. Then moving on. So, Nick with the Grom in Australia. Anyway, he sent us one. He says something about, oh, I don't know why you're on hiatus, whatever. Then he said, glad to have you, Nokomofos, back. Still doing wheelies on my bicycle. Still planning on watching Night Riders and fucking the dragon. I know I should have done it by now, but you try to convince my girlfriend it's a good idea to watch a terrible two hour bike movie with commentary. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, since I won't be able to, uh, to buy this, I demand you talk about how much this sucks. Please and thank you. And he sent some sort of link here, which I can't remember. Oh, of course. How have we not talked about this yet? Of course. The new Grom. Is this the high performance track? No, it's, one, uh, no, no. It's just uh, the, the 2021 Grom. So well, yes, it, there's there's a newer motor. It's making like 0.8 horsepower more or something, right? Like it's not that, cr- or maybe it's half a horsepower or something. Which I'm in support of, but okay. What what what's the major grievance here? No, I think he said it sucks that he can't buy it. Oh, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> so it's it's re- the Grom has been restyled a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Which. 
I'm okay with because it looks at the way they've restyled it. It's more interchangeable parts. It's more like if you fuck one of these up, you have to buy less to get it back on the road. Of course, a little bit more, uh, a little more poke from the engine is, is of course, welcome. The design, I think, is kind of just as good as the old one. It's different. For me, though, it's important that now there's a second generation of the Grom because it makes the first generation of the Grom cheaper and it moves us closer into that next life cycle of the Grom and what it means to our culture and society. Yes. Because I, I don't know, <clears throat> you know, there's not a lot of people that, I don't know if everybody remembers back in the early days of the Grom when there was like a year long period of people just going insane. Like Groms were selling like Beanie Babies for the first year. Well, there were two people. There were people that couldn't get enough of it and people that were just flat out angry about how much it costs for what it is. Yes. And it turns out that it could have been like, five. Is this is this not dissimilar to Beanie Babies? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay, but people weren't buying Groms and reselling them for three times the price. It, there was not a full-on bubble around Groms, <laughs> but I know what you're saying. There kind of was. There were people was that were buying as... them and making a $200 profit like they right. were with monkey bikes, yes. But the, the thing with uh, Groms is – that they've had a unnatural amount of resale value. And I think it's almost come to the point where it's hurting the Grom, right? Because the Grom could have cost $1,000 more, it turns out. People would have still bought it because it wasn't about how much the Grom cost. It was about how much the monthly payment is. Mm, yeah. It was the monthly payment everybody could deal with. Therefore, Boom. Tons of Groms. It's street legal. Here we go. Exceptionally wheelable and the lowest per month payment outside of a metropolitan. Bam. Here we go. So I will say that people are marginally smarter than that, but it did hit a sweet spot. Right. So, uh, a new one, like I said, moves us into that next life cycle of the Grom, which is are the used prices on the first gen going to drop enough that you can kind of – you can buy one on a Lark as easily as we did the scooters? Uh, on credit, yes. Well, no, I'm talking about a used one. Will this mean that, or do we need a couple more years? Like just the just the idea that there is a new twenty twenty one, will that immediately devalue the old ones enough that they're going to drop down to fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars? I think within a year, yes. Well, that's exceptionally good news because for a new bike, people can still have that super low monthly payment and finance one of these and and get going. But then also, we might start seeing people, like, really chopping these things up and doing strange things with them. I'm excited. <laughs> I love the people that put the 300R engines in them. So good. All right, next email. Ba-ba-dum. Moving right along. Moving right along. Uh, so then... 
is a short one from Chris. He says, I'm a new listener from the UK, and I don't usually contact the podcast that I listen to. However, I just wanted to let you know that you guys absolutely kill me. Oh, and I'm going to start using the term twist select when talking to scooter riders. There we go. <laughs> and he says, now he wants a t-shirt of a Dalek that says R2-D2 above it. Don't ever change. Stay safe, Chris. The The title of this email was If Akira Were Disabled, episode 115, worst bike description. So your your take, your hot take on the uh, thoroughbred um, Mustang really connected with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, he says stay safe, but I have, within the last month, witnessed you 12 o'clock a scooter. So we're not quite living up to, <laughs> to his right. sentiments. Now, you've got emails that were sent to both of us. Uh, mostly. Yes. <clears throat> okay, so we got another email from Wesley from somewhere I cannot remember. A uh, regular emailer who has sent us email and says, I have a question that I thought might be a good show topic. You know how there is the Iron Boat Association for long-distance riders and different clubs for people who ride in extreme cold, etc. There doesn't appear to be a club for riders who suffer significant trauma and return to riding. Should there be? What would be the criteria... What, or bleh, what would the criteria be... How about the name? I recently returned to riding after suffering four broken ribs and a punctured lung. I was flown out in a neck brace aboard a helicopter. It was kind of a big deal. Uh, I think so. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if that qualifier was. <laughs> yeah, necessary. why was it only kind of a big deal? <laughs> I think it's full blown big deal <laughs> uh, for me. And getting back in the saddle was a major goal. I'm back on two wheels and listening to all of my favorite motorcycle podcasts. Thanks, and keep up the good work. So, to start off, major props, getting back in the saddle. Yeah, like, I. well, I guess I've never had that serious an accident, so I, I can't really fully relate. Anytime I've laid a bike down, it's never been that big a deal for me, but I've never had any kind of serious injury. Like the worst was when I put the uh, the the Vulcan down, um, losing you know emergency braking and, and losing traction, and that wasn't wasn't going that fast. I just kind of bruised my hip, so I can't really relate. That's also the worst that I've ever done is bruising my hip. Was I? Well, no, I didn't even bruise my hip. I got some. You had a little rash, but nothing. Yeah, but. I, I don't know if this is viable as a society simply because well, no, there's no way to do this in person just because of how society views motorcycles. Well, also, you're never going to get – okay, in order to have this sort of as an in-person group, it could only exist like in Southern California – 
And you would have to be seeking out people that have had accidents and going, so when are you going to ride again? So when are you going to ride again, right? Which is not the way to do it. People have to naturally come to it on their own. So the idea that, you know, you could have people that were in accidents years ago that will then have a group where, you know, they support you. But mentally, you also kind of need to move past the accident. So. Well, also, I mean, the only thing that I can, the only thing that, obviously, the the first problem is that I don't think there's enough density of people suffering this trauma who want to get back to riding in any particular area area that is enough to like form a support group and at the same time right yeah so there's no way to do this in person outside of somewhere like south southern california so so it only exists as people that had accidents long ago talking to people that have recently had accidents that's realistically the only way this works Right, so, but this is also this is also, you know, the 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 nearest equivalent to this is like is like veterans associations for people trying to come back and reintegrating into normal society from like PTSD in the military. No, I've got it. I've got it. Um, there should be a one-on-one course an MSF one-on-one course from a sort of, you know, sort of master instructor. It's going to cost like 500 bucks or whatever, a one-on-one like back in the saddle sort of thing of going, okay, back in the saddle is a great trademark. Yeah. Uh, A one-on-one you get, you get like a really seasoned MSF instructor, like Todd from, from uh, wheel nerds that can, you know, someone that's had an accident, but doesn't like li- relive it every day, right? Someone that can really tell you, okay, as you get back into it, your mind is going to be playing these specific tricks. Let's practice on refocusing on traffic conditions, not reliving the trauma as you get back on the bike. Just a one or two day, you know, four hour thing, two hours one day, two hours the other. Just as we go through, here's the exercises where we're going to get you more about being in the moment than reliving the accident, right? Because it's not particularly safe to go back on the road when you're traumatized by the event because you're just thinking about the accident you had and not concentrating on riding. I think that's sort of the group, the thing for this. It is. and But yeah, I don't think there is a community for it because, well... It's not like I've had any major life trauma that I can put towards this, but it's it's a matter of like, well, first of all, you have to take the people who have had some sort of accident that introduces this sort of trauma and this sort of uncertainty into getting back on onto a bike. Then from that, you have to shorten it down into the people who want to get back onto a bike but are afraid to and i do think there is there is a program here there is some demand and a market for this but it can't 
I don't know if it can be a local in-person thing. It's something you're going to have to travel for. It's going to have to be something that you want. Yeah, there might be something with like a, an Instagram group or something like that. But It's going to have to be online and maybe there is it funnels into some sort of program. But it, yeah. uh, it, it, this cannot be like a VFR. Like... VFR. Or not VFR. Uh, uh, v... Uh, local veterans chapter house thing oh vfw vfw, VFW. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> i was like i was like uh <laughs> am i watching you finally lose your mind are you i didn't know if you were going to come back from that one <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah vfw there you go okay uh i think we've answered that one if it's in person i think some sort of specialty msf class and if it's not it's got to be some sort of instagram you can create it Create it on on Instagram and see where you get with it, I guess. Maybe this is something that can be um maybe this is something that can be integrated into the MSF. That's what I started with. Anyway, next yes. email. There we go. Uh do you have any more or should I go from well, there was the guy that was basically telling us to go fuck ourselves for doing our own show talking too much about scooters. Well, all I'm going to say That's is, harsh. He didn't say that. And he probably meant it a lot more lighthearted you know, than that. You know what? I am going to continue my multi-year resolution of not pretending to be a mind reader. And I'm going to say <laughs> that Joseph is... <laughs> Means this in light fun. I think he does mean it in light fun. It's <laughs> just, it's just like anymore. I just you know for like post hiatus on this show. I'm gonna be like, <laughs> why are you criticizing this free content? <laughs> what is yeah. possibly your motivation for doing that? <laughs> no, I I think he. You know, I think in saying use guys and spelling it y u z e, he's clearly not trying to break our balls that hard. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna keep thinking the best of people and taking every message in the best possible light. It is the internet. <laughs> Not everyone's gonna be friendly, Swigs. <laughs> Look, I know that this sounds Mormon to you right now, <laughs> but it costs me nothing here. So I you know, message received. We realized at the end of the last episode that we had been going on with a lot of two, a lot of scooter talk. What? Would to be just, fair, scooters are not necessarily uh, perfectly represented in the podcast world. You this know, is true. Is a couple scooter episodes here and there really going to kill people? I think not. But we did. We did realize we within the episode that, like, this is, like, it was ridiculous. I, I feel like we made up for it today. We talked about racing baggers. We talked about the most horsepower in a production road bike, right? We talked about why um, fuel-efficient motorcycles would be even better than scooters in a stopgap sort of environmental movement. I I think I think we're back to form on this one. So I feel, you're I do, welcome. 
I do feel like a V6 is the polar opposite of a scooter. Yeah. <laughs> so, so everyone should be happy. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Moving on. All right. And oh, we did. Oh, how did I miss this one? We got another email from Brian in Nashville. In Nashville. There we go. And he says, I have to admit, uh, actually, we're going to skip this because it's all sentimental bullshit that we appreciate, but is not great podcast. Yeah, we did read it, Brian. But Yeah. And he says, I can't remember the last time we emailed, but I am still on the Multistrada and have put over 10,000 miles on it. Since then, I've also sold the Super Cub and added an MT-07 and a CRF 250L. Yes, that makes me six motorcycles and about two and a half years of riding. And in true moto slut fashion, more changes might be afoot. I really dug your guys' segments a couple of weeks ago about uh, American... A couple of what ago? A couple of A couple of weeks ago about the next American hope in motorcycle racing. I don't think you mentioned Cameron Bobia and his pending move to Moto2. Oh, right. Could we, we be seeing the start of the next great American wave of motorcycle races, racer... Uh, moto- blah, blah. Could we be seeing the start of the next great wave of American riders on the world stage? Goddamn, I hope so. I'm so hoping you guys are back. More racing content, please. We're getting there. I <laughs> Look. <laughs> I know you guys all think we're a scooter podcast now, but for real, we will have we have many thoughts, we have many ideas. We have many things to say, but look, you buy a new bike and you get fucking excited about it and you want to talk about it. We both bought fucking scooters. Okay. So (laughs) we still own motorcycles. We still own ridiculous. I I still have a fucking 78 Goldwing, right? Bagger. And Swig still has a Gootsy. Okay. Like we're still hardcore in it. Okay. I have. Well, yes, I have three Italian bikes now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, yeah, I was just talking about the running bikes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shut up. So, uh, yeah, Uh, well, as far as more racing content, you got that on this one with the the bagger racing. And there there is more coming. So, um, but Bovier going to possibly Moto2, that's a big deal. Yes. uh, Because this year, What's-His-Face went to um, uh, World Superbike. Wow. <laughs> he went from Moto America like Team Yamaha. Um, oh my gosh. I, <sighs> just, just the sounds of my keys. We're just going to girl have... off, Garrett, girl off. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, Gerloff went I got to the sounds out. Was about what people got. Close so, enough. So Garrett Gerloff went to World Superbike, and then Cameron Bobier. We're talking about Moto Two here. I mean, 
it's we're, we're, we don't know about a champion, but as far as the return of Americans to the world stage, it is happening. It's happening slowly, but it mm. is happening. Okay, here, here's what we need to think about. One is that we've already got an American podium, podium getting a podium in two years with... Okay, I really am drunk. Uh, Joe, Joe Roberts. Roberts. There we go. Um, with Joe Roberts and often putting in... Well, also getting multiple polls. This is very promising. Do you remember when KTM came back to MotoGP? It and, was a disaster and for they two did years. practices where they were three seconds behind in practices. Three seconds, not even behind the lead. Three seconds behind everyone else. Yes. And now we've got Joe Roberts also in the Moto America family, not the original AMA. We've got Cameron Bobier, who has, you know, all this experience now moving over, which we should also clarify that at this point in time, he is not technically, nothing has been signed. There's been no media announcement, but through like 12 different sources, it's, we're, it's been said that it's all but signed and it's going to happen. And Joe Roberts moved off his team to make room for him. So we can assume that it's going to happen. Right. But this is a process. Just the idea that American talent is viable on the world stage is enough. Because you keep piping these Americans in. Eventually one of them's going to win. Right. But it's also, it's, it's a process. And, you know, we talked about this a year ago. That what uh, Wayne Rainey is doing with Moto America is it's, it's the it's the pipeline right and it's not just about saying like oh well moto america is gonna compete with moto gp no moto america no, it's gonna be bsb but without all the fucking like sissy attitudes <laughs> yes and and this is where wayne rainey is both a genius and a fantastic marketer because why would a national league be more impressive than an international league? It wouldn't. But he recognizes that what Yeah, the I original... as I said sissy attitudes. I meant shitty attitudes is what I meant to say. But anyway, sorry. There we go. Anyways. This is where Wayne Rainey is a genius because he has restored American road racing to what it should be, which is Hey, everybody feeds into the international circuit. So we need to create a structure to feed the most championship contenders we can into that league. Exactly. And we then it feeds back. There's a feedback loop that comes back to making people pay attention to our league. Right, because right now like of all the feeder leagues really bsb is the most viable one and it's it's sort of like for motorcycle racing it's the college football of motorcycle racing right which for many people is just as good or better than nfl 
Uh, because there, there's less money involved, there's less this and that. There's a way to see it as more equal opportunity. Therefore, it's kind of tighter racing sometimes. There's there's reasons that some people like to watch it. And I'll be honest, that's why I like to watch Moto America as well. You know, BSB is, it's having a rough time right now, I think. I can't, I can't, I just can't deal with and it's also difficult to watch and and fuck it, right? I I think the way that Moto America is evolving as a as a program, as a thing, just makes it because the riders are evolving as the series evolves. And it's 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 definitely it's evolving. Fun. I, it's fun <laughs> to see the graphics like get better on every broadcast. Like the cameras get better. Yeah, it, it's fun to see like how they've they've taken these riders and they start like blocking them for the interviews. And they're like they're taking these like seventeen year old kids and they're like this is like they're coaching them up for the interviews. And you know when they win their first races, they don't just like throw them to the wolves anymore. They're like, okay, someone's gonna put a microphone at you. Don't say nothing. If you need to pause, that's okay. But like, they're they're helping them out. Like you know, it's it's all coming along, and it's it's both charming to watch it, but it's also exciting. And I, I I'm all about it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's growing in exactly the way it needs to grow, and it's being totally proven by having towns like Rocco Landers moving into Red Bull Rookies Cup, which unfortunately didn't work out this year because of all the complications of COVID. Uh, but he still won two championships this year yeah. with ease. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got Cameron Bobier moving on to Moto2, all but said and done. And we've had other towns like Gerloff moving over to world superbike there's there's so much being developed and if you had made all if you had said that these three things would have happened this year a year ago you would have said i i don't see it happening yeah give it another year or two then maybe exactly but everything is evolving so well because all of the focus on what needs to happen is happening, which was not happening in AMA racing. AMA racing was super fucked up and was totally destroyed essentially by NASCAR. God, we got to get Wayne Rainey on this show. I want to get Wayne Rainey on the show and promise that I don't even want to talk to him about a single thing from his past racing career. I just want to talk to Wayne Rainey about Moto America. I do too. I as as this is how much I like Moto America. As huge a hero as Wayne Rainey is, I feel like what he is doing now is not by magnitudes, but definitely more interesting than his racing past. Well, it's a cause greater than himself. Yes. There you go. Okay. Next email. Uh, okay. So let's see. We've got uh, from Colin. 
He says, glad you guys are doing the podcast again. First off, you guys should definitely get dirt bikes slash dual sports at some point. I currently have a KTM 690 Enduro I bought six months back with four grand on the clock and has been an awesome bike. While the engine vibrations can make your hands go numb on the interstate, it makes up for it when you hit the dirt. My buddy and I did a big trip through the mountains out to Ure before the snow hit. It was a blast going past kitted out Jeeps and SNSs that were crawling along through the rougher stuff. Especially when they cost up to 10 times what we were riding. Now I have a bike question for you guys. I may be moving to Europe in the near future. With your strange international history and knowledge of esoteric and obscure motorcycles, you guys seem to be like the best resource on the topic. What crazy cult status bikes only available in Europe should I look at buying while over there? Kajiva Super City 125. Kajiva Super City 125. <laughs> <laughs> I am thinking of selling my current two bike stable and going full native. I haven't owned a sport bike or a Ducati. Ooh. Then the Aprilia that he mentions in parentheses on this is probably I forgot about that. Didn't he say like an RS um uh two fifty? Uh, uh my memory doesn't last that long right now. I don't think so, no. Oh well. um so he says, also, while looking at some bikes only available in Europe, I have come across a few I feel may be contenders for best slash worst bike. Suzuki Elets electric scooter with single-sided swing arm. And it has an apostrophe in the name, which is definitely some this deductible th- points. He fucking gets it. <laughs> yeah. And it fuels your recently your recent proclivity for scooters. Okay, stop right there. We're okay. And he says uh, XJR thirteen hundred. Oh, which... I didn't realize. Okay, okay. This is this is a small. This is not okay. I didn't know this. Okay, is this as a scooter? Just the Suzuki Let's. I'm going to need to pull up a picture. No, no, no. You just have to tell me. Is this a scooter? The Suzuki Let's. I cannot imagine the... Wait, an electric scooter? No. Well, I, mean, I don't or know. Or just it, a scooter. Is this a scooter? The Suzuki Let's. So we're just going by the name. Wait, are we playing it's a scooter? Yes. Or is it a scooter? Okay, okay. The Let's is a scooter. What if I told you... What what if I ask you the question, is it is the Suzuki L E T apostrophe S a scooter? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, so yes, it so is. the E lets is this <laughs> all what they do is they added an E and then moved the apostrophe. Wait, say that again? 
Wait, isn't the E lets E apostrophe lets? Uh, I don't know. No, it's E dash L E T apostrophe S. Oh, God, that's even crazier. Wow. Yes, you're right. It is, yeah. So it's the let's, but with the E dash. Whoa. This is a new level of crazy scooter naming. It's rough. That's. It has an integrated basket, which is a bold move. <laughs> I didn't feel it was that difficult to get a basket on a scooter before. Okay. Okay. So anyway, well, the, no, don't get the elets. Like, if you move to Thailand, get the fucking elets, but not move into Europe. Okay. So let me let me just finish this email real quick and reiterate. He said his option. He was thinking about Suzuki elets electric scooter with single side swing arm. Yada yada yada. Second option. Yamaha XJR thirteen hundred. Can we get a middle option? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well this is kind of a middle option. Uh, Aprilia RS two fifty. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, the RS two fifty. I I think if you've never had a sport bike, that is a very good option. I think the RS two fifty or what was the um. The single-sided um, swing arm and single-sided front fork, um, Kajiva. Galera. Galera. Sorry. Not Galera here. 125. I think you've got, if you want to get really fucking weird, man, I think you've got to go Kajiva Super City or Galera 125. Like, you want to let your fucking Euro freak flag fly? <laughs> These are your options. I I agree. You, you know what? You have put some insane options in front of us here. And in the moment... The Aprilia RS250 is kind of a classic that I would not knock you for. But in the three options... In the three options we've been given here, there's a lot of range. Which... <laughs> Which tells me that when you see the bike, when 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 the model, when the make and model and year of bike is announced to you, that is suggested to you, that is the right bike, you will immediately know what it is. Yeah, it's just gonna come to you. Although, Swigs, you gotta bear me. Oh no, there's one in front of me here. Hold on. No, we're good. Okay, next email. Or is that the end of it? Uh, um, let's see. Brian, we do math. Ba-do, ba-do, ba-do. Swiggy's looking for an email. Might uh, be at the end of the show. That's it. That's it. Okay. That's all I got. Okay, so it's only two and a half hours. I think this is a manageable podcast. <laughs> It's, it's a little long-winded, but, you know, I think this is a return to form. You were properly drunk for the emails. We talked Happy about high oblige. horsepower crazy shit. We talked about weird theoretical future shit. We talked about racing Harleys. I'm pretty I, – I enjoyed this one. I enjoyed this one a lot. 
We got a little we got a little uh MotoGP Moto America talk in there. Got a little bit of gossip. A little gossip, yeah. So I think it's finally time we can we can just cruise down to a slow ending here and say it's been a great time. <laughs> it's been <laughs> super fun. And we're gonna we're gonna go out on this one. Remind everyone you can send emails to the podcast. You can send them to MotoGP at nokomotopodcast.com. You can send them to Swiggy at nokomotopodcast.com. Or you can send them to us both or the management at contact at nokomotopodcast.com. We'll read your email. Um, also, you know, we want to congratulate this week. Uh, I, I bet they'll be dropping it this week. The Cleveland Moto Podcast is having their 300th episode this week. So a little little shout out to that show. You know, it's a little bit of a tradition on the show when uh, other shows have a big a big sort of numbered podcast. We, um, we congratulate them. So we're giving Cleveland Moto a mention. <laughs> a brief uh, nod. A brief nod. You know, yeah, yeah. They they've done all right, I guess, right? Yeah, they're uh you know they're moving along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, uh yeah, everybody, um thank you for listening and we're gonna clock out. I was Moji Pete, he was Swiggy, and this was episode one twenty-four. Let's hit the outro. Let's do it. I don't want to die Just want to ride on my motorcycle Cold